Hey, welcome back, everybody. As many of you know, we got a cease and desist letter from the Canadian government claiming that we had classified information in the Dallas Alexander episode. We've been working very closely with the Tier 1 unit over there to figure out what exactly is classified. We're having a real problem actually figuring that out. So we brought in our attorney, Tim Parlatori, very well-known attorney, makes a lot of heads turn when he comes around. But uh, we go over the case, all the ins and outs that you want to hear, what's classified, what isn't. Is it straight censorship? Is it silencing their own people? I don't know. You guys tell me. Leave us a like, comment, and share this episode with everybody you know. We also talk about why the leadership in the military across the globe has turned into a bunch of weak, spineless leaders and how that's going to get resolved as well. So anyways, also hit us with a review on iTunes, hit us a review on Spotify, and guess what? Dallas's episode's coming back soon. All right, everybody, please welcome Tim Parlatori to the Sean Ryan Show. Love you all very much. Cheers. With the censorship from Canada that we've been dealing with, we released an episode with Dallas Alexander, the Canadian JTF2 sniper. Funny thing is, Dallas got fired for not taking the COVID vaccine. There's been uh, some concern brought up about the Sean Ryan Show podcast. You know, the video is, it shows these guys out on an operation. It shows them with equipment that, you know, you've seen a hundred times on on the internet before. I got hit with a cease and desist from Canada. There's a couple of admirals that I believe are at fault here. Scary times we're in. Very scary. It looks like we're fighting the government. We're fighting certain individuals within the government that are not staying true to their oath and are not doing what is best for the people of this country. Tim Parlatori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Man, it's an honor to have you here. So just a little bit about you real quick. You are the managing partner at Pelletory Law Firm. A <clears throat> You've been on a number of very high-profile cases, the most famous being Eddie Gallagher's. Now you represent Trump for everything January 6th related and the classified document fiasco that we're seeing all over the news right now. And I'm your latest client with the... (laughs) with the censorship from Canada that we've been dealing with. And, um, man, I just want to say thank you for picking up the call that day. I've been through one legal battle, and it was one of the most stressful times of my life. And um, and uh, so it's just it's a real honor to have you back in me, and, and uh, I think we made some serious headway with these people. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. Hopefully this one was less stressful. Yeah. (laughs) With you on my back, it definitely was. But uh, everybody gets a gift that Ah. comes on the Sean Ryan Show. Thank you. There you go. Go ahead. ahead. A little something for the the flight home. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. So... So this is... I just want to kind of go over exactly what happened with Canada. Sure. In my opinion, 
You know, I think this was, I don't think there was anything classified in there. And we'll get, we'll get to the summary of this real quick. But basically, we released an episode with Dallas Alexander, the Canadian JTF2 sniper, and which had real footage in it. Funny thing is, Dallas got fired from the unit up there in Canada for not taking the COVID vaccine, according to Dallas, right. and not complying with mask mandates. They knew that was coming in part two. I got hit with a cease and desist from Canada, from the unit up there, saying that there was all this classified information or sensitive information within the episode they needed to come down. Right off the bat, I thought, this is, this is straight censorship. They're trying to silence this guy. They don't want this stuff going out. It took me about... 24 hours, actually less than 24 hours. I got it on a Friday night, close of business, and I slept on it because I was hot. I was really upset. And I slept on it. I woke up and I said, you know, if there is something classified that could, in, this, in, the, in the episode, that could jeopardize the tier one unit or or compromise any of the operate the current operators that are still on the ground. I I was, I would just feel horrible, you right. know, if, if if I release something that that jeopardized that unit, especially them being an ally unit. I've worked with them in the past, so I pulled it. You know, um, I wanted to err on the side of caution. And then I called the Gallagher's. Huge thank you to the Gallagher's. <laughs> um, they connected me with you, and your letter back to them was phenomenal. But um, I'm just going to read off the initial. So basically how what happened is Thursday, we got just a regular email in through the website. And it was, here it is. Good afternoon. I'm reaching out to you today as a representative of the Canadian Special Operations Forces Command as we have become aware of classified information and imagery that was disclosed on your recent podcast with Mr. Dallas Alexander. We respectfully ask that this podcast be taken down to prevent further dissemination of the information and video contained within it. We would also appreciate receiving an advanced copy of the second part of the interview prior to publication to enable us to make an assessment as to whether there are any further violations in it. We are certainly willing to work with you to help produce edit, edited versions of both podcasts to ensure they do not contain any classified information. Please let me know if you have any questions or would like to discuss. Thank you in advance for your cooperation. Very respectfully, this person. So I blew that one off, and then <laughs> and then we got the official cease and desist in, yeah. in, the, in the email and in the mail, and that's when we got a hold of you. So I'm going to post those up on screen right now in the article that has has the whole situation in there. Um, you took that on. Then all of a sudden, the media just <laughs> launched, and uh, was ev in everything. It was in the New York Post, Daily Mail, UK, Task and Purpose, CTV News, the Ottawa Citizen, the Epoch Times, the Blaze, Breitbart, World News Era, SOFX. And salt wire, and there's probably more. I couldn't keep. I, I lost track, and it sounds like it might be going more. So, when you took this, what, and you actually got a chance to look at it, you know, the video. What what was going through your mind? Did you think there was anything classified within the? 
No, I mean, you know, the video is, it shows these guys out on an operation. It shows them with equipment that, you know, you've seen a hundred times on, on the internet before. Uh, there are elements of the video that, in my opinion, probably were classified at the time, specifically where they were. You know, when you go out on an operation and you, you file your plan, that is classified because you don't want the enemy to know where you're going to be or where you are. But years after the fact, that is no longer an issue. So there was nothing about that video that struck me as you know, problematic. But instead, I kind of looked at the letter that they sent you. And you know, obviously, as a lawyer, we look at the letters a little bit differently and kind of you know, slice them up and, and figure out, okay, what is the actual applicable law? And that's when I started to feel like, okay, this is not a legitimate claim. Yeah, well, you know, on top of that, just just to encompass the entire situation here, because that's what I thought too. I was like, well, maybe maybe it's the location, you know. But they did a press release. Right. They did a press release of the location because mm -hmm. they were so happy that they broke the world record that they couldn't wait to get the information out. The unit did a press release revealing the location of the operators who took the shot before they were able to leave the sniper hide that they were in. So they compromised the right. four shooters, any other intel guys that were in that hide with them. And they actually, according to Dallas, they actually had to make an emergency extraction because their country had compromised their location. Right. And I didn't remember that initially. And then I was like, wait a minute, he says this in the episode. And then speaking to Dallas, he had mentioned it several times again. And I, you know, I was like, what could possibly be more classified than revealing the location of your operators who are still on the ground? Right. Exactly. I mean, the, the capability of hitting a target from that distance, that is obviously something that's not classified because they announced it. And so there really wasn't anything about that video that struck me. You know, sometimes you, you have videos where you can see, okay, if there's the, you know, the, the intel or the crypto guy there, and, and if you can accidentally see, you know, the screen on their little, you know, iPad or whatever. But there wasn't any of that there. Yeah. They had mentioned, they mentioned a few things that were classified. It, it was odd, too. It was, it, here's another thing that was really odd was they made it sound like this was a they made it sound like this was a, a major breach of national security you know in the in the cease and desist and so i emailed him back first thing saturday morning thinking well if this is that big of a deal this email is definitely going to be monitored over the weekend right we didn't hear a damn word until monday what monday late morning yeah and <clears throat> so that also tells me, okay, this is not a matter of national security. This is this is bullshit. And so, do you want to do you want to talk about our initial conversation? Sure. So, you know, when you reached out to me, you explained the situation, um, and of course, the most important thing for me is let me read the letter. Um, you know, lawyers, we write these scary letters. Um, even though they're called cease and desist or demand letters, you know, we often 
you know, because lawyers like to speak Latin, we call them interorum letters, meaning to terrify somebody. And as a lawyer, I could look at it and say, no, this doesn't quite match up. You know, what is the threat? If you don't do this, we're going to prosecute you. We're going to sue you. We're going to do, you know, file an injunction. What is the threat? And what are the references to the law of what you allegedly broke? And what was interesting about this letter, as opposed to any other that I've dealt with before, is that it was all based on um, not very specific references to Canadian law, whereas you're an American. And everything you did was here in the U.S. and therefore governed by U.S. law, not Canadian law. And so one of the things that immediately jumped out at me was the conflict between the Canadian standard and the U.S. standard, because the the idea that a government would demand a journalist uh, to take something down because it's classified, that's something that's been well litigated in this country. You know, it was something that was brought up during the Vietnam War over the Pentagon Papers, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said the First Amendment, freedom of the press, trumps any government interest in keeping something classified. So the government can't censor the media based on something allegedly being classified. And, of course, you and I spoke about it at the time, that one of the things that they said in there is that this video is the property of His Majesty the King. (laughs) (laughs) That is the wrong thing to say to an American. That's exactly what you said to me at the time. You said, that's the wrong thing to say to an American. I said, well, actually, Sean, it's even better than that because your defense to this is contained within the First Amendment to the Constitution, which is the document that we wrote after we decided we don't want to be subject to His Majesty the King anymore. (laughs) You know, it's so, it's funny. When you go to law school, you learn all these arcane, ancient constitutional principles, and you think, I'm never actually going to use that in practice, and yet it does come up where these things, you know. So that's when... You know, I think I told you, all right, let me write up a response to this. And what what I did is I took all of their points and just hit back with, okay, I'm not an expert on Canadian law. I don't know Canadian law much at all. But U.S. law applies here. And so when you say this, the Constitution says the opposite. When you say it's intellectual property... Our laws say fair use doctrine allows you to use it, just as any news agency out there can use these videos that depict a historical event as something to um, to confirm the story. You know, you're not you're not wholesale taking a, a long feature film that belongs to somebody else. You're taking a relatively short clip that confirms the accuracy of your story, and that's permitted under our constitution and under the U.S. laws and the copyright law. So really, I wanted to push back on them to say, hey, look, everything you're threatening doesn't scare us. We're not concerned about any of your threats because legally you don't have any. But Sean is very different from a lot of other journalists because he respects the operators. He respects this... um, 
what they're doing. And that's why he took it down to make sure that nobody's going to get hurt. And that's why we're willing to work with you to make sure that when it goes back up, it doesn't compromise any people or operations. And I wanted to make very clear from the, from the beginning, I don't care what you say is classified because legally that means nothing to me. I do care about what you think might endanger people or operations because Sean doesn't want to endanger any people or operations. You know, the reality is classification, it's somebody's opinion about what, whether something will harm national security. And it's a big problem in this country and presumably a lot of other countries of overclassification where just because something is classified doesn't mean that it's actually something that should be kept secret. You had mentioned something last night at dinner that, you know, that really caught me off guard. I, I mean, I kind of—it's—it's it's just weird hearing it come out of somebody's mouth like like yourself, who's been in this several different times. But the use of classified information—well, it's not classified—to cover up an embarrassment from yeah. some type of leadership. Correct. How often does that happen? Well, it happens a lot. It happens a lot in this country where we have so many things that are so overclassified and classification really should be very narrowly used to the things that if disclosed would damage the national security of the country as opposed to the things that if exposed would damage the reputation of a certain senior leader. Uh, and I'm not speaking of anybody in particular because this has been misapplied across the board to a whole bunch of people. So, and sometimes it's just that the government wants to be able to control the narrative. You know, they don't want you telling the story of what happened with that sniper team. They want to curate that story. They didn't want Matt to tell the story of what happened when they killed bin Laden. They wanted the government curated Zero Dark Thirty version of events. And so... Oftentimes you have these classifications that are not really designed to protect, to protect the country. It's to protect the individuals. And that's not a proper use of classification. Yeah. You think that's definitely what this was? I think that there's an element to that. I mean, when we got on the call and we started talking with, the, uh, with these guys... One of the first things, because we went through the list of all the things that they wanted, and there was nothing that they told us was classified that I believed to be actually classified. There were several things that we agreed, you know what, in a spirit of cooperation, we'll pull that out. First names of the other operators. Mm -hmm. um, that's not classified, but at the same time, out of respect, okay, we'll move, we'll pull those names. The first thing that they identified, do you remember what it was? The, the night vision. Bingo. Night vision. They wanted you to blur out the portion of the photos that showed what night vision these operators were wearing. Because it was the panoramic, you know, the four tube. Mm -hmm. And I immediately knew that that was not something this classified because they did the same thing when Matt wrote the book No Easy Day. And they said, you've revealed this classified piece of gear that we have these panoramic four-tube uh, knots. 
but it's not classified. In fact, you sent me the link you know, the next day where we could go on L3 Harris's website and buy a pair. <laughs> I mean, what are those? Those nods are like 15 years old, at yeah. least, you know, and, and local police departments have them. And they're telling us, they told us they didn't want their capabilities right. to be out there. And it was, man, I guess I got to be honest. If you don't have this capability by now, that's, and you're the tier one unit, right. born and domestic, in Canada, that's that's pretty embarrassing. It is. And, you know, the concept that well, we don't want the bad guys to know that we can see them at night that well. With, with all of the interrelation between the Canadian and the U.S. forces and anybody else, they may not know which unit's going to come through their door at night. But I think that they all have a pretty good idea that there is going to be some tier one unit that could come through their door in the middle of the night and see everything. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I found so it, that to be... It, it, it's, it's an element of overclassification without serving any purpose um, that unfortunately kind of tinged the... Uh, the rest of our negotiations because, you know, the first thing that they asked for, and we agreed <laughs> because, you know, who cares if you can see the nods or not. Um, but it did tinge everything else to where when they say, oh, this video um, is classified. Okay. You mean like the night vision? So. You know, there was just, there was a number of things. They also brought up well, they brought up the first names, which we bleeped, right. and people find that out on Monday. So there's, there's the previous classified, <laughs> previous classified edit uh, that we did. But also, then we kind of, we got into bullet flight time, and there, you know, there was actually one specific piece of gear that I, that my entire team was like, that's got to be it. And it was the TACCOM optic, which they did not mention at all. Even Dallas himself was like, maybe that's it. You know, I don't know. But um, the team heard it because he had mentioned something in the actual episode. But then I looked it up, TACCOM HQ, their Instagram. Everybody yeah. should go check that out right now. Is sending <laughs> us thank yous because they, they, they were told it was sensitive. <laughs> and they're like, this is, this is huge for us that we can actually get this out. But there they are. You know, they have a, they have a public Instagram page with everything on it. Yeah. And, and here the, the Canadian unit is telling us, well, that's classified. Then they told us that the, the one video where they make entry, whoever was filming that made entry into that room as yeah. they're actually taking the shots. Yeah. And they're saying... they. I mean, you had the conversation, you know, that they told you all that equipment was classified, correct? Right, and we we discussed that because the reality is if there's something in that video that you or I don't know, yeah, okay, maybe there's this, there's a piece of gear sitting on the table and that that individual piece of gear, that we don't want anybody to know that we have. No problem. Tell me what it is. You don't, don't even tell me what it actually is. Just tell me that thing over there. Mm -hmm. Please blur out the widget on the table. We offered to blur out the widget on the table, but they couldn't identify any. Yeah. 
and then we found an article and and I, I believe it was Ballistic Magazine. Yeah. That was, I believe, I can't remember the title of the article, but in the, in the paragraph, it was something along the lines of, the equipment used in the JTF-2's yeah. world record sniper shot, attack 50, uh, McMillan rifle, right. what round, what optic, what the, what the prism optic, it was all right there. Yeah. And so uh, my, my team actually found that. I fired it off to you. Did you send that to them? No, I didn't need, okay. I didn't need to. It was, I, I thought that was rather interesting too. And then, you know, it, it was even for me, you know, even for me, knowing what it was, it's still, and I think this is a problem with a lot of different, or with a lot of issues that are going on in the country today. It's so, it is so blatant. It is such, I mean, it is censorship, silencing in your face under the mask of, of classified material. And even myself is like, man, what's classified in here? What? It's, it's so hard to get through my head that the free right. world is censoring their people that hard. Yeah. And it was, it's just, and I think that's happening with all these different problems across the country, across the globe, is, is it's so blatantly obvious that it, people can't get it through their head like that this is happening the way it is. You know, it's it's something that with the proliferation of social media and, and YouTube and, and giving voice to the people in a way that we never had before, um, that the government just doesn't know how to deal with it. You know, think about think about even as bad for as recent as the eighties, when you didn't really have the internet, you had thirteen channels on TV, you had newspapers, and that was how information got out. And so the government had a lot more control at the time over what got out, how it got out, and, and they could curate things better. But now, when you have the ability to disseminate information that much faster with the Internet, the government doesn't know how to keep up with that. And so much of this is, it's not about protecting national security secrets it's about the government wants to have sole control of the narrative. And, you know, even when we discussed with the Canadians, well, hey, you guys did the press release. You know, how, how is this an issue? You guys did the press release. And, you know, quite frankly, I look at that episode with Dallas and I say, aside from the COVID piece of it, the rest of it is a celebration of how good the Canadians were. It should be a good story for them. Obviously, they don't like the ending that Dallas uh, told, but it should be something that they celebrate. But they wanted to control the narrative. They wanted to control who was giving the narrative, in my opinion. So, but, and it's the same thing that you see, you know, across the board with all of these types of cases. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, Matt earlier, uh, who was a client of mine, full disclosure. And his book about the bin Laden raid, uh, he did not go through the proper pre-publication review. Um, the publisher asked him not to. The publisher gave him a lawyer who advised him he didn't have to. And all because the publisher wanted to rush it into publication before the re-election. 
because the administration had put out, you know, their Zero Dark Thirty version of events, and they wanted to have the counter-narrative, the true story out there, also before the re-election campaign. They went after him. They destroyed his life because they were angry at him for questioning their narrative, for putting out a counter-narrative, for not asking permission first, even though at the end of the day, they put him through a hell of a criminal investigation and there was nothing classified in the book. Had he submitted it for pre-publication review, it would have been the same book that came out. So, and unfortunately, he was given bad advice, which is what gave them, you know, the hook to be able to do that to him. But it all came down to them being angry at him for for questioning their narrative. How, how many other times have you seen this happen? I've seen it a few times. You know, it's, it's something that um, when you embarrass the government, they will come after you. And sometimes it's in the it's in this case of you know a criminal investigation, um, you know where you know, let's say that you're nominated for a government position and you withdraw um, because you find out oops you know there's a problem with paying a, a nanny off the books and you've embarrassed them, so then they sick DOJ on you. And they go through everything they can to try and find something to put you in jail because you embarrass them. Speaking there, of course, of Bernie Carrick. Yeah. Because that's what happened to him. It's frequent. It's frequent. What what did he do to embarrass the administration? I'm just curious. Bernie Carrick was nominated for the Secretary of Homeland Security. And he withdrew from uh, the nomination when it was discovered that he had paid a nanny off the books um, for his kids uh, and didn't pay the payroll taxes um, because she wasn't in the country legally. Interesting. Interesting. Today, that probably wouldn't be a disqualifying thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the time, it was. Wow. <clears throat> what do you think? I mean, did you... Does, so can so they literally have zero zero recourse in getting this video down or coming after me. Um, Correct. So you are protected under the Constitution. Um, the New York Times is actually uh, the ones who fought this all the way to the Supreme Court several years ago uh, to establish this precedent. That's why you know, for example, when you have um, you know, Snowden giving all those secrets to Glenn Greenwald. Government didn't do anything to Glenn Greenwald because he was within his constitutional rights to publish all of those classified documents. You know, WikiLeaks is within their constitutional rights to publish those classified documents. You, if this was classified, are certainly within your rights to publish this. They didn't go after the publisher. Um, the the Constitution protects you unless you signed the NDA. If you're the one who had the security clearance and you had the non-disclosure agreement and you violated that, you know, ultimately what they got, 
Matt on? The breach of contract. That's it. That's it. That's what they did. They got him on a breach of contract. So uh, people who are still on active duty, obviously UCMJ has you know more heightened uh, punishments for it. But here, you you don't have a clearance. You didn't get this through the course of any official government uh, work. So they can't really do anything to you on that. Uh, they were pushing a possibility of an intellectual property uh, copyright violation, which you know, certainly you're allowed to use it for fair use doctrine um, in a limited capacity. But here's the funny thing. If they wanted to come after you on a copyright action, I would obviously defend you and I think we would win. But before they could do it, they would have to take that video first to the U.S. Copyright Office and register it. Which goes against the idea of it being classified. So they have to first register with the United States government that this belongs to His Majesty the King. And then you and I would end up in a U.S. District Courtroom getting in a fight with His Majesty the King. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. What were some of the other red flags uh, that you saw that, that made you think that this was this was just, hey, this is just a cover-up because they don't want to see, they don't want the fact that Dallas was fired it, for not taking the COVID vaccination? You know, the timing of it, um, you know, was interesting. The um, They moved very quickly to, you know, they, they moved very slowly to send you a letter. And then once they got my letter, they moved very quickly to have a meeting. And what was, uh, I think, you know, goes to the benefit of the credibility of the Canadians is that once I had pushed back on the constitutionality piece, I think that they recognized that and they said, okay, let's, let's work together. Let's, and they were, they recognized that we were doing them courtesy. You know, which by the way, not a lot of people would have done what you did. Okay, your decision to take that down and to prioritize the safety of the operators over, um, you know, over the story and over you know profits and everything else. Not a lot of people would have done that. So I I definitely applaud you for that. Thank you know, you. There's there's a lot of people out there. Uh, you know, we, we've discussed names in the past. I won't say any right now. That would have said. Oh, you don't like that I fact that I put up a video of dead green berets? That's okay. Yeah. My profit means more than the families. And somebody who does that would obviously have, you know, no uh no interest in even having the conversation with the Canadians. So, you know, that is, you know, something, you know, that speaks to your character that you wanted to take that down and put their safety first. But once we've gone through this and, you know, we, we met with them to see what their concerns were, to see what needed to come down for safety of operators and operations, and when they couldn't identify it, and just said, well, we'd like you to take it down because we don't think that you should have had it in the first place. Okay, I, I appreciate that, but we can't really... Can't really work with that. You mentioned another thing last night too that I thought that that I didn't catch, and that's that there 
their lead POC point of contact for us was a public affairs officer. Correct. Correct. Yeah, there there was um, there was a judge advocate officer that we spoke to initially, but kind of once we established that there's not a legal issue here, he kind of moved to the side and then said the public affairs officer you know took lead on it. Um, and you know we're not going to say his name here, but relatively junior guy, you know, lieutenant commander. Um, if this was such a matter of national security. I would have expected that we would have been talking with intelligence colonels, not a public affairs you know, major or lieutenant commander. Very interesting. So, which again, the fact that you have public affairs taking lead on this, um, and, and the fact that we're talking about allegedly classified material on an open line with two guys who don't have clearances, <laughs> Um, it, it did kind of further reinforce to me that, you know, this is a, um, a control of the narrative thing. And, and let me be clear, the guys that we spoke to, they were following orders. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that they acted, you know, courteously and professionally in, in their dealings with us, but, you know, ultimately they were given orders from higher ups to, you know, do what you can to take this thing down. And, you know, they took it as far as they could. What do you think, what do you think might happen to Dallas? You know, it's uh, hopefully nothing, obviously. Uh, I don't like to see anybody get in trouble. Um, it's kind of what I do is keep people out of trouble. But, you know, he, they would have a problem with doing anything to him. You know, they could try to do the same uh, issue with saying that he broke his non-disclosure agreement. Um, they could try to say that he revealed classified information. I, and I, again, I don't know the Canadian legal system, so mm -hmm. I don't know, can they recall him to active duty and court-martial him or any of those things. But ultimately, while there are certainly are differences between the Canadian and the U.S. system, when it comes to trials... Uh, there are very common principles of evidence, and I think that they would have difficulty because they would have difficulty with you know showing that it was actually classified or in a of a nature that damages national security. But here's the other thing: is that how would they actually establish that he's the one that even gave it to you, unless they had you come in and testify? as a prosecution witness on it. So I think that there's a lot of chain of custody and classification issues that make it difficult, but more so, and one of the things I said to the public affairs officer is, the more you push on this thing, the more you draw attention to it. And there's an element here of the more you let it alone, the more you allow the public to sit there and say, wow, you know, the Canadian Special Forces guys, they can, they have some great capabilities. And leave it at that. Because the more you push, the more you create a circus, the more you create polarization, from a public affairs standpoint, it can end up hurting you more than helping.
Interesting. Do you think do you think they will go after him? I don't know. I you know, I'm sure that they're gonna do their investigation. You know, if media reports are to believe, they're certainly investigating it. Uh, where is that gonna lead? You know, I, I don't where does it lead? Can they build the evidence? And what is the appetite for having that type of a problem? So they're definitely investigating him. Ultimately, it'll be up to the senior leadership to decide, are we angry enough with him that we want to go through this process? Do you, if you were Dallas right now, what would you be doing? Moving to the United States. That's what I would be doing. <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't do that, what would you do? Um, well, and obviously there are still extradition treaties and things like that. So, um, you know, he, he has the decision to make. Um, yeah, of course I could, you know, it's easy to sit here and say move to the United States. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, obviously there are um, immigration issues. You know, can he get a green card to, you know, to move here? Is he, you know, will... The U.S. allow him to come here for you know more than just a visit. Um, will they allow him to become a resident? So, I think that you know Dallas, um, you know he's taking a stand for something he believes in. Uh, I think that you know based on your conversations with him and uh, and my brief interactions with him, I think he knows what he's doing and he's made a conscious decision uh, that this is more important to him. Uh, so I, the, the best thing that Dallas really should do right now is to try and find uh, the Canadian version of me to have sitting in his corner with him. Roger that. Well, I'm sure he's gonna watch this, but um Tim, let's if there was an opportunity for me to go up to Canada, I hear that they still wear wigs in Florida. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I've always wanted the horsehair wig. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk about, we had a great conversation last night on why the military, almost globally, seems to be, now we're, we're in this spineless, weak, woke, era of military leadership, and I think you're right on the money. I can't wait to talk to you after the break on that. Hey guys, let me tell you about this subscription service that I've been working real hard on called Vigilance Elite Patreon. Basically on Patreon, we have it broken up into three different tiers. We got tier one, tier two, and tier three. Let's dive in. Our tier one patrons get all the behind the scenes footage of the Sean Ryan show. That could include behind the scenes photos, that could be side conversations that we have in between breaks, that could be specific questions that our patrons give us for the guest on the Sean Ryan show, and a ton of bonus content that doesn't really fit into any specific category. For our tier two patrons, they get access to our tactical training library which consists of well over a hundred videos. We've broken those videos up into separate categories and those categories are rifle fundamentals, pistol fundamentals, drills, tactics, 
driving, gear and weapon setups, and everybody's favorite, mindset. Also on Tier 2, you will get a live update from me on the 1st and the 15th of every month where we talk about the upcoming guests on the Sean Ryan Show, plus all the benefits of Tier 1. Our top tier, which is Tier 3, gets full access to all the other tiers, plus they get full access to me where we do video teleconferencing, VTC, once a month. We discuss anything from tactics to current events to who's coming on the show. I take suggestions, and it's very interactive. No matter what tier you choose, the support is greatly appreciated, and it is the only thing that makes this show drive on. So thank you for all the support. See you on Patreon. All right, Tim, we're back from the break. And we had a fascinating conversation last night about why the leadership in the military has become so weak and spineless. And this is a topic that's just, I've seen it over and over. Everybody wants to know why the military leadership is going the way it is here in the U.S., now obviously in Canada and and, and likely across the globe. We've received a ton of emails, actually, yeah. from from spec operators in Germany, in Holland, in Australia. Um, and it seems like everybody worldwide is dealing with this, with the exact same scenario here. So I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, you brought this up last night at dinner. And remember the first question I asked you was, um, when you joined, do you remember who your senior leadership was at the time? Yes. And how many of them had Vietnam combat service? All of them. That's right. And that's the thing, is that if you look at the historical cycle of this country from World War I to the present, Vietnam to 9-11 was the biggest gap uh, from active combat um, and sustained active combat that we've had in this country. Um, you know, yes, there was Desert Storm and, you know, Somalia and things like that in the interim. But when you joined, when I joined, all of our senior leaders, the senior enlisted, the colonels, the generals, they were all in Vietnam. You know, the commandant of the Marine Corps was a platoon commander in Vietnam. And the last Vietnam veteran aged out, you know, the last... Commandant of the Marine Corps, who was a Vietnam veteran, retired in 2005. So when 9-11 happens, and you know, consider before that, yeah, I, I went to the Naval Academy, uh, started in 1998. And so while I was there, the lessons that we learned about how to prepare for combat and combat leadership, they had all the Vietnam veterans come in and teach us that because that was the most recent experience uh, that they could draw upon. And so you fast forward and starting around 06, all of those leaders are gone. And you go all the way up to the present and all of your general officers today, not through any fault of their own, but for the year of their birth, they were all too senior on 9-11. And so you have this entire generation of 
paper generals, that their junior officer days were spent during the post-Cold War peacetime. They've never carried a rifle on patrol. And so... Let alone been in combat. Right. Well, I mean, they, they've, they've done it in training. Mm-hmm. They've done it in training. Maybe some of them were, were in Desert Storm. Maybe some of them were in Somalia and things like that. But if you look at the makeup of the combat arms today, whether it's special operations or infantry, your lieutenant colonels and your, and your commanders in the Navy side have the most combat experience in the officer corps of anybody. Because they were the platoon commanders right after 9-11 when we went into Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And so you have one, two, three, four-star generals that are looking at their lieutenant colonels and saying, that guy has more experience than I do. I have a bunch of you know, medals for you know, making policies and writing papers. That guy has a purple heart. And it's a very weird time right now in the senior military leadership. And this is something that I, I discussed in my closing argument when I represented Stu Scheller, where your senior leaders are the least experienced. Look at the SEAL community. Admiral Green is the most senior SEAL admiral, I believe, right now in the Navy, and yet he is the least experienced SEAL officer in the Navy because he was too senior. So he never got to lead these combat patrols. As this current crop of the 9-11 junior officers starts right now to put on eagles as colonels and, and captains, and as they continue to move up into you know, the admiral and general ranks, I think that you're going to see a bit of a reversal of this because the current leadership just doesn't have that experience. Yeah. But the next generation will. If any of them are left, and yeah. so many people are leaving the military. They are. They are. It's, it's unfortunate. You know, I, I sit there. Yeah, I graduated um, from the Naval Academy in 2002. We were the first class to graduate after 9-11. And I look at all of my classmates and, you know, who are now you know, commanding officers of squadrons and of ships and you know, now screening for command of aircraft carriers and you know, battalion command. Uh, I think one of my classmates was recently a, a team commander out in Coronado. And the guys are get, and women are getting out. And a lot of it is because of the policies of DOD that's forcing them out. And the, the increase of the whole zero defect mentality where... I've done things recently, and I'm not going to name names here, but I've done recently things that I really didn't want to do. I represented a lot of my friends who were relieved of command, and I hate that. I'm happy to be able to help them, but I hate that I have to do it because we are trying to take the best officers out there and get rid of them. And I think that probably the there are more targets on the backs of the O5s right now than I've ever seen. Man. And it's those that survive 
to make the the senior ranks, I have hope that they are going to be the ones that are going to make things better. You know, it's it's like one of my one of my good friends. I always thought, you know, throughout this whole time, you know what? Things are going to be better the moment that my friend puts on a star. You know, we knew from from the beginning that this guy is eventually going to be a general. And I've always held that hope that the Marine Corps will be better the moment that they put a star on the shoulder. And instead, he reached out to me and said, I've been relieved of command. I need your help. Damn. And what was he relieved for? Holding his Marines accountable. He was relieved for doing what we want our leaders to do. But in every one of these cases that I'm dealing with, you have a situation, and the pattern keeps repeating itself, where they try to hold the junior officers accountable to the same standards that we were held to as junior officers. And instead, rather than admit that you can't meet that standard or raise your performance up to meet that standard, they choose to file an IG complaint. And then that creates this whole investigation and vendetta where then the senior leaders come down and they say, you know what? It's easier to get rid of this guy than to do the harder right. And and I will say that you know, at, I'm in a weird situation with my job where everything I see in DOD is unfortunately the worst of what's going on because nobody invites me to the successes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only get invited to the party when things are going badly. And I will, I will caveat this to say that I have seen that the aviation community does a lot better at this than the other communities. It's not perfect, but I, I've definitely been a lot more impressed with, um, with the senior leadership in the aviation side of things than the others. And part of that may be because that's the one community where you have flag and general officers who did fly combat missions. Interesting. Because unlike the SEAL teams where once you get above platoon command, you're out of the field, um, you know, squadron commanders are still flying combat missions. So there's there may be an element of that in it too, but um, it's bad. And the morale is bad. And so many people that I sit there and say, this should be who we want to be the next general or the next admiral. They hit 20 and they drop their papers. And, and so many of them command. You know, when I was a, a junior officer, my captain was the greatest. And it was like, this man was born to command a warship. Mm -hmm. And when he had his chain of command, we were all so sad to see him leave. And he was sad to see, to, to leave today. 
Today's commanders are even told a successful command tour is defined by surviving all of the IG complaints. And I've had so many of my friends that have gotten to the end of their command tour, done the chain of command, change of command, and rather than being disappointed at no longer being there with their command, they're relieved. Damn. They're relieved that they survived. You know, command of a warship or a battalion or a squadron should be the pinnacle of somebody's life. And now it's something to be survived. That is pathetic. That is pathetic. Do you... <clears throat> Ever since I saw this defund the police movement come about, yeah. you know, what What was that, about 2019-ish? Yeah, summer of 2020 is when it really started hitting. When it went rampant, and I had this theory right off the bat that this was engineered from way up there, where they wanted to restructure all of the police departments, get the old blood out, bring in the new blood, bring in the yes men who are going to do anything that that the leader that the weak leadership tells them. And 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 I thought this is going to carry over to the military. Then we saw that we we're, we're seeing it right now. We saw with the with the with the COVID vaccine mandates yeah. they got rid of a ton of wartime experience a tremendous amount of wartime experience. Now we're seeing the the new agendas come in and that's and that's demoralizing the the few guys that are left. They're leaving. I mean, who do, do you think that this is coming from from way up and they're they're trying to restructure the entire military um, and police? I mean, it's it's definitely we're at, a, we're at a place right now where we have less um, people that have served who are serving in senior positions. You don't have, I mean, think about years ago, how many members of Congress fought in the World War II? Yeah. You think about, you know, not having served not having gone to Europe or to the Pacific was a liability for a political candidate at a certain point in time. Now, you have very few people that have served, and therefore very few people that have that understanding and experience and cultural understanding of what, of what military and the police do. So I think that there is, you know, that factor. Now, one of the things that I that I enjoy seeing is more veterans that are now getting elected to Congress. Uh, I think the more of that on both sides of the aisle is a good thing, because the more people that you have um, that understand that and understand the principle of, for the good of the country, we come together and work together, even if we have differences of opinion, I think that's going to help to turn the tide. Is it all a conspiracy from the top to, to cut all these things down? I think that there may be an element of um, influence operations here from our enemies. You know, certainly, you know, who benefits the most from the weakening of the U.S. military? 
The Chinese. Correct. Russia. Correct. And you have the Chinese that are investing tons of money into our educational system. Tons of money into this country to try and influence things. And as, as our leaders fight each other, they ignore the external threat. And sometimes don't even recognize that it's the external threat that has created the infighting. I believe that too, Tim. I, I am 100% in line with that. And I've been thinking that's what's going on for a long time. And I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't think China could do a better job than they're already doing it dividing and demoralizing right. America and its citizens and our and our allies too. Look at right. Canada. I mean, look at and I don't want to get into a whole discussion about election fraud and things like that, but if you look at 2016 and 2020, the greatest things that our enemies could have done was not to create fraud in the election to influence its outcome. It's to create the appearance of fraud. Because if there's an appearance of fraud in the election, the two sides fight each other. So, and it's, it's a well-known principle. I mean, look, read Sun Tzu. This is something that the Chinese have, have followed for hundreds of years. That if you can use influence operations to get the enemy to fight with each other, have the enemy defeat itself without having the fire shot. If we could recognize that, then maybe we could focus more on building this country up and focus on that external threat. Scary times we're in, very scary. How long do you think it will be before the mil our military starts changing if any of these guys are left in the system to take take to take leadership because there is this you know there is the old saying hard men create good times good good times create weak men right. weak men create hard times and the cycle goes on right and it, it, you can you can see the cycle throughout our history from you know from Vietnam you know the post Vietnam letdown and all that stuff. And so I do think that things are going to turn around. I'm hopeful that things will turn around really within the next five years because the people, the men and women who you know bore the brunt of the load after 9-11, they are now starting to, and many of them are, putting on captain and colonel and will be up for flag and general officer ranks soon. And I think that there, you know, while there certainly is a retention problem, I think at the same time, good men and women are still there. You know, I, I was, I went to the Pentagon a couple of weeks ago um, for something and walking down the halls, I ran into a couple of guys that I knew and one guy in particular, um, I won't say his name, but I, I saw him, and I haven't seen this guy in over 20 years. And this was one of those guys that we knew would have been a phenomenal officer, but he was also a guy that 
you know, tended to get into trouble for certain things. And everybody figured, okay, maybe he's going to do you know, five years and get out. And I saw him wearing eagles. And nice. I thought, this right here, seeing him wearing eagles in the halls of the Pentagon, that gives me more faith that the Marine Corps, in the Marine Corps' future. So there are some phenomenal men and women that are still coming up the ranks that have not been, you know, pushed out or forced out. So I have hope for that. You know, and one thing that I like to do, is I, I read a lot of history books. And so when you read about how bad things were at so many other periods in our nation's history, you realize maybe it's not so bad. As much as you feel like everything's about to fall apart, um, you know, read, read Alexander Hamilton by Chernow. And in the later chapters where it talks about a lot of the political infighting, you sit there and say, wow, that sounds so familiar. And they overcame it. And I think we will again. So I have hope. That gives me a lot of hope. It probably does because, you know, I, I always I always try to keep a lot of hope and I try to remain positive and that we're going to come out of this. But to be honest with you, until that conversation last night, I've been really breaching for something to grasp onto, just seeing where this goes. And, and this last thing with Canada, even though it's technically not our country, right. but the same shit's happening in our country, yeah. you know? It's almost, it's almost, I mean, it's almost a blessing that it happened cross border, right? Because it, it unveiled so much uh, about how they're censoring, how they're trying to silence their people, right? And I, you know, I see. I shouldn't be reading the comments, but I do read the comments sometimes, <laughs> and I see, you know, I see a lot of comments that are like, I you know, reading those years ago, <laughs> screw Canada, and and yeah. it's not, it's not. The Canadian people. It's the right. Canadian government and the leadership. And it's not the JTF2 unit. It's right. the leadership in the JTF unit. And it's individuals. It's individuals. This is something that I that I always keep in my mind when when I'm fighting cases and you know, and a client will say, you know, we're fighting against the Navy. We're fighting against the Marine Corps. And I have to stop him and say, no, 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 okay, I am not attacking the Marine Corps. I'm attacking some very specific Marine Corps generals who are making bad decisions. We're not attacking the Marine we're, we're attacking some certain Marine Corps prosecutors. I'm not attacking the Navy. There's a couple of admirals that I believe are at fault here. There's NCIS agents that are at fault. The institution itself is not something, you know, the government. I'm, I'm not fighting the, it looks like we're fighting the government, but we're not. We're fighting certain individuals within the government that are not staying true to their oath and are not doing what is best for the people of this country and not doing what is required by the Constitution. And so we fight those individuals. And so as much as it as much as it looks like I'm out there fighting with the Navy and the Marine Corps and DOJ and everything else, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm fighting for it. 
You know, I, when I when I stood up there, you know, with Eddie Gallagher, yes, I was fighting the Navy on behalf of one SEAL. But the reality is, at least the way I looked at it, I was fighting the corruption of certain individuals on behalf of all of Eddie's teammates. It's a very logical perspective. You know, if, if you think of it as this monolith, then it can't change. But if you think of it as individuals, they can be replaced. Interesting. That's a great way to put it. Well, Tim, on that note, I think uh, this is a good, a good spot to end it. Um, I do want to just say that that after after what you just said, that my intentions were never to embarrass or bring light to JTF two in any negative aspect. Those, like I said, I have worked with those operators several years ago. Some of them are still over there, and it is a phenomenal group to work with. Yeah. The only and 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 thank you for the compliment earlier. I did. I wanted everybody's best interest. I wanted the best interest of the operators over there. I wanted the best interest of Dallas. And um, thank you for jumping in and saving my ass. <laughs> and <laughs> of uh, course. And uh, and the and the other thing is that I want to get out is, you know, there's I think there's a lot of kids and 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 young adults whose aspirations are to go to a unit like that, and. I don't want to demoralize the future of these units because they're extremely important. They have great culture in them. And I just want them to know that, yep, we're going through a transition right now, but weak leadership is always replaced with strong leadership. And, and so I, anybody that's looking at going to a unit, that unit or any unit, you know, just know that. These things will never improve unless good people go in. And I remember right after the acquittal um, for Eddie, the first interview that, that he did, and I, I sat with him, and I remember he was asked, you know, does this change, you know, do you regret joining the Navy or, or becoming a SEAL? And I remember his answer just, it really struck me where he said he didn't regret it for a second. And... Yeah, you know, a day earlier, they were trying to put him in jail for life. And he says he doesn't regret it for a second. And he would advise other people to do it because while these certain individuals did the wrong thing, the reality is the team's military was the greatest thing in his life. And he would absolutely recommend it to other people. You know, I if my child grows up and decides to join the Navy... It'll be the proudest day of my life, too, you know? And it's it's what we need is more good people to go in and do the right thing. 100%. It, and good people standing up to this tyranny, you know, this BS from these governments. But, but man, what a, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what we did. Yeah. We, we have uncovered what it's like. We've uncovered real censorship. We hear about it all the time. And this is it. This is exactly what they're doing. They're masking it with classified documents. And, and, you know, I just, I think we won by unveiling that. 
Yeah. I think we it was a big win for freedom of speech. Yeah. And uh, I, like I said, thank you for being there. And yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for taking the case. I really appreciate it. And, man, what an honor to know you. Well, what, what an honor to uh, to be trusted by you. You know, that's, that's one of the greatest things for me is when people call me to ask me to do these things, that they are entrusting me to look out for their best interests and to, and to protect them. You know, that's, that, that means a lot to me. So I, I thank you for that. My pleasure. Seriously. So, all right, Tim, best of luck to you. All your contact information, links, everything will be in the description. So if anybody's in some trouble, it needs the best of the best. There it is. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Today's show is sponsored by HelixSleep.com. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. Go to HelixSleep.com and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched with the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match based on your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your front door, shipped for free. When you receive your Helix mattress, you'll be hooked. It's so easy to unbox and you won't believe how well you sleep. You'll wake up feeling rested and refreshed. Helix mattresses are fiberglass free and cradle your body for essential support in every sleeping position. They have a 10 year warranty and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash SRS. That's helixsleep.com slash SRS. This is their best offer yet, and it's not going to last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now.